Here we go with Law and Gospel on this Rumination Tuesday, October the 10th, in the year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and I'll have with me Mark Smith as we take a look at the hymn, A Multitude Comes from the East and the West. And here's how it sounds. the four verses of A Multitude Comes from the East and the West. Uh, let me just shut this down. Okay. It was written by Magnus Lundstedt. He died in 1880. He suffered through a difficult and solitary childhood so it comes as no surprise that one of his best hymn texts looks past the physical and emotional struggles of this life toward the promised feast to come in the next. The, the hymn first appeared with seven stanzas in his much-anticipated hymnal of 1861. The hymnal, though, received much criticism. 
for its exclusion of certain other hymn and its use of the Norwegian language rather than the conventional Dan D Danish, for forcing Landstadt to revisit the entire project. The result was his final hymnal released in 1869 and his revised effort found immediate success in the Church of Norway. The hymn also soon found favor in English-speaking churches when a translation by Peter O. Stroma, died in 1921, appeared in the 1910 Lutheran hymnal. The parable retells, the hymn retells the great parable of the great banquet from Luke 14 and also from Matthew, which is our gospel reading for this week. It is a strange blend of confidence and the need for assurance of longing for and also fear of what is to come. The hymn is the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, which is the 20th Sunday after Pentecost. Pastor Mark Smith. Pastor yes. Baker is talking to you. Have yes. you used this hymn very often? I'm afraid I have never used it. It's un, it's been unfamiliar to me. I, you know, it's it's too bad. Uh, I'm I'm glad we're uh, taking a look at it today, but I've I've just I've never chosen it. Yes, it's really is an end times hymn. Yes, which we are involved with as we near the end of the church year getting ready to start with Advent. And so it's talking about what's going to be happening in the end times. And it's good to know that Magnus Lambland, that he had a very bad childhood and that this re references that and the hope he has for the future. Yeah, I'm 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 a little bit curious as to what uh, transpired in his childhood to to make that impression on him. I uh, doesn't say anything more about him. No. Uh -huh. No. Well, the the tune. But you is, know, in those days, uh, young people would die very early. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, they didn't have enough food, and who knows how poor his family was, but. It shows how a hymn really made a difference, especially when it was translated into the Danish language, which was a common language it was sung in, and yeah. later on uh, translated by Peter Stroma into English. Yeah, it says the tune is Swedish and uh, goes back to 1694. Wow. Okay. Oh. Very Scandinavian. Stanza one, please. Okay. A multitude comes from the east and the west to sit at the feast of salvation with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob the blessed, obeying the Lord's invitation. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. 
Now, how do you understand what they're sitting at? Well, uh, now the the gospel for this Sunday talks about it's uh, the parable of the wedding banquet, yes. and uh, and the Old Testament reading also, uh, I, I would say, reflects that as well. It talks yes. about uh, sitting at the table with Abraham, Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and uh, and Jacob. Uh, I think that's uh, Isaiah. Chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. Right. That's the Old Testament reading for this. So the Old Testament and the Gospel both, both speak about the same. Uh, it gives the same picture. Yes. In fact, the Old Testament begins, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. So when do Christians prior to Judgment Day participate in that feast? Uh, that Lord's Supper is a foretaste of the blessed feast that we'll enjoy with our Lord in heaven. Yeah, the Lord's Supper. Excellent. And in your congregation... Did you have people coming from the East and the West? Well, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, you have any immigrants? Yeah, pretty broad. I mean, you know, uh, what was that, Tom? I'm sorry. Do you have any immigrants that were coming? Uh, yes, uh, a few. Um we we have uh we had a family in our congregation that was uh the they were uh indians i mean the, from yes. from asia uh we were beside washington university and so we'd have students come there and some of them were from overseas so they would be from the east and from the west we had people who moved from California <laughs> and joined the congregation. Right. So that's what this hymn is talking about, that there is no limitation as to who can become a member of the church. Yeah, the church is uh, universal, as we say, or Catholic with a small c. It's, uh, it's from all, all around the world. All true believers. Now, I had people who believed in Christ but were not Lutheran, yet because of that faith in Christ, not yet confirmed, I would say they would also be considered as sitting at the Feast of Salvation because they were hearing the Word of God and digesting it, praising the Lord, giving Him glory, as the hymnal says, and they would be part of that. Feast of Salvation. Absolutely. I would agree 100%. Now, how first... were Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob a part of that feast? Well, they too were believers in the Old Testament. They looked ahead to the promise, the blessed promise of a Savior, 
And uh, that's the only difference is they looked ahead. They trusted in the promise of a Savior to come and, uh, and atone for their sins and for the sins of the whole world. We look back. We, we, we look back on Jesus who came, of course, at the, at, uh, the, the centerpiece of time and, and uh, went to the cross yes. for us. And the Old Testament believers, we all, our, our faith is focused on the one and the same Savior, Jesus. I noticed that the last line of the first stanza almost is obeying the Lord's invitation. Yes. What does that tell you from a theological point of view? I'm looking here. Obeying the Lord's invitation. Oh, it's... Uh, it's the obedience of faith. Yes. It, it's a, it's a trusting in his promise. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And that's that's the obedience of faith. It's 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 uh, it's not something that it's not something really that we do. He, he even gives us the faith by which we believe. So it's it's God doing all the work there. We would say that that is the life of sanctification right where the holy spirit moves us all right i'll do stanza two. Oh god let us hear when our shepherd shall call in accents persuasive and tender that while there is time we make haste one and all and find him our mighty defender. Now, when you first read that, it sounds like we're out looking for Jesus, we find him, and then we decide to have faith. But what does this verse really referring to? Well, no, he he seeks out his lost sheep, like like the uh, the parable of the good shepherd that leaves the flock and and goes out and searches yep. for that one lost sheep. So so he comes out he comes out after seeking us. Yes, and we find him because of something the father said on the Mount of Transfiguration, which is the first line of this second stanza. What was that? Oh, God, let us hear when our shepherd shall call in accent yes. persuasive and tender. He calls us first. Right. Then we hear, and through faith, we find him, our mighty defender. And... Accents persuasive and tender. That might be hard for a child to understand. So how would you explain that? Well, I would say, you know, you know how, uh, oh, you could explain it a couple ways. Uh, a lot of times how we speak to our pets. You know, we don't want to be stern with our pets. They're not going to come to us that way. But you use a you use a tender tone of voice, and uh, also well with uh, with uh, with children, uh, you know, you, you you use a tone of voice that that lets them know that you love them, that you're reaching out to them in love and in care, uh, and not sternness. Yes, when we're talking about accents, 
we can recognize when somebody was born in the south of the United States versus the north by the way that they speak. And Jesus' accents are very persuasive and tender because through his message of the gospel, many come to faith and believe in him and are saved. And that's the hope that Magnus has here in writing this. All right, stanza three, please. All trials shall be like a dream that is past, forgotten all trouble and mourning. All questions and doubts have been answered at last when rises the light of that morning. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. Now, what's that talking about? When the trials will be like a dream that is past. Well, that's uh, God shall wipe away all tears from, from our eyes. There'll be no more mourning, nor crying, nor pain. The former things have, 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 been, have passed away. It's talking there about uh, the enjoyment of eternal life in heaven with him. Uh, there won't yes. be any sorrow, nor crying, nor any more pain. Those things are passed away. I, I like it where it says, forgotten all trouble and mourning. Yes. Actually, yes. that can happen here on earth also, can it not? Yes, uh, but, you know, our old Adam, you, you know, we still, we still cry at funerals. We still miss our loved ones that have gone before us into heaven. Uh, but in that day, there'll be no more. All those troubles, you won't, you know, if, if you have a friend, a friend or even a, a dear loved one, that isn't in heaven when we are raised. And uh, we, we will not, there will be no sorrow, nevertheless. That will be, uh, it's hard for us to imagine that, but uh, we will not uh, have that feeling of uh, missing our loved ones or regret or any of that. That will be washed away forever. Yes. I think there can be a comfort also at funerals. Uh, crying isn't necessarily a trouble because did not Jesus weep at yes. the tomb of Lazarus? That is correct, right. So he, he, as, in as and true, of itself. Go ahead. Oh. And there could be great joy in realizing your loved one is in heaven and you will be seeing them again. Remember, there are tears of joy yes. as well as of sadness. That is right. Yeah. When you see, you see a loved one that you haven't seen for years and you hug them, and it's very, very common for people to shed tears of joy. There will be no tears of sorrow, though. Yes. I like this statement, all questions and doubts have been answered at last. Yeah, that would have to be heaven. Yes. Because I've got about 3,000 questions I want to ask God <laughs> that I can't figure out the answers to. 
Yeah, that would that. Yeah, we could. I'm sure we could spend plenty of time. Well, those those uh, doubts will be answered at last. Any questions and doubts will be answered. Yes. Yeah, I was thinking about heaven and thinking about those who have died that I knew really well and uh, pastors and church officials, members of the congregation, etc. It It's really hard to imagine. Will you find them in heaven? Will you have conversations with them? I, I think you will. I think so. I think it'll be the most blessed of all family reunions. Yes. Okay. Stanza four, please. The heavens shall ring with an anthem more grand than ever on earth was recorded. The blessed of the Lord shall receive at his hand the crown to the victors awarded. Have mercy upon us, O Jesus. Uh, Tom, if we can uh, go back to the last line, that, uh, the last stanza, what, what's the first question that you would want to ask our Lord uh, when, when you're in heaven with him? Can, Why some and not others? Yeah, I thought of the same thing. We, we call that the crux telegorum, the, the, uh, the question that has plagued uh, uh, yep. Christians for, for all time. Uh, why some people are saved and not others. Yes, and that's really obvious in the gospel for today. Because somebody comes to the wedding, but he doesn't have on the wedding garment. And, of course, the person who gives the wedding for his son, namely the king, that's God the Father, what does he say to that man without the wedding garment? Yeah, he says, uh, cast him out into outer darkness. Yes. Exactly. There'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, yes. So, uh, and that wedding, well, how would you explain uh, what that wedding garment is? It's it's the garment of faith. We, we get it already in our baptism. Well said. You're already wearing it. Yes. And God can see it. Uh it isn't obvious until the day of judgment when you not only receive a wedding garment, but according to stanza four, what else do you receive? Last line. The crown, the crown to the victors awarded, the crown of eternal life. Yes. And they're awarded, very strange, because... God gave them the faith to believe. They didn't invent the faith. They didn't concoct the faith. No, it was a faith given and revealed to them by baptism or by reading Holy Scripture. It's interesting that the last line of each stanza is the same. Have yes. mercy upon us, O Jesus. Should I ask Mark Smith what mercy is? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready for that. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Excellent. And what is grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Well said. And 
God is merciful toward us because though it appears that we should, in our confession of sin, deserve nothing but eternal hell and punishment here on earth, God doesn't give that to us, does he? Not at all. No, it's a gift. It's, it, his mercy is an absolute gift. Yes, I've had people who've come into the Lutheran Church, and the thing that really surprises them is they no longer have the burden of having to do good works in order to get to heaven. Because when they sin, they can repent of that sin, be forgiven. It's kind of like the dual message Jesus had in the early chapter of Mark. Repent and believe the gospel. And who did the work of repentance in preparing the way for Jesus? Who did the work of repentance in preparing? Oh, John the Baptist, of course. Yes. Yes, and how did he do that? He, he preached, the kingdom is at hand. The, the Savior is coming. Uh, repent. Did he preach he law baptized. or gospel? He preached, uh, well, both. <laughs> he, you know, the good news that, the, that a Savior is, behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. So he preached, I'd say he preached law and gospel. Repent. But there is the Lamb. There is the, the appointed Lamb of God who will take away your sins. Sins of the whole That's world. That's what a sermon needs to do. When we talk about repentance, we take a look at the vocations of our members. That means where they work, what kind of family they have. And we point out, like the book of Proverbs does, all the things of how we are to act properly. And it reminds us of repenting of those occasions when we are not acting properly. That's what the book of Proverbs is all about and prepares us for the coming of the Savior who preaches the gospel and saves us. Well, thank you very much. Pastor Mark Smith for helping with A Multitude Comes from the East and the West. It is the hymn for this Sunday. There'll be a repeat program tomorrow because I'm speaking at the Missouri District Professional Conference for pastors and teachers, so I won't be here. Until Thursday, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your checkout to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962.
Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.